0: Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, uh, Mr. Pfeiffer. Warning, Miss Atwater is here. She was an unknown with nothing but ambition. You over here. He was the professional who'd done it all. You used to cover the White House.
1: <laughs> you still get the coffee.
0: If this is to tell me I have a lot to learn, I already know that.
1: What she needed to know. She eats the lens. He taught her. What are you doing? This isn't about lipstick. This is about them. I'll tell you what to say.
0: I know what to say. Well,
1: Then say it. Get in there. Jam the damn mic in his face.
0: How do you answer allegations that you profited from drug
1: money? So we keep it loose, keep it open, and if we get lucky, gold. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pfeiffer Fridays, where we walk you through the films of one Michelle Pfeiffer, and every F-word automatically has a silent P. I'm Jerry Downey.
0: And I'm Michael McLean, and today we are covering uh, part two of our 1996 miniseries with this year's film, Up Close and Personal, directed by John Avnet, and starring Robert Redford, Stockard Channing, Joe Montana, Kate Nelligan, Michelle's own sister, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, and featuring the other Pfeiffer sister, Michelle, as Tally Adwater.
1: Indeed. So I have a question for you. Okay. On Letterboxd and such, how do you go about rating movies? Like, do you, does everything start at a five and comes down from there? Do you start at like 2.5 as my solid average and this movie fell above or below and go from there? Like, what's your
0: process? Oh, gosh. What a good question. I think if it's a movie that doesn't, you know, blow me out of the water you know, to me, I'm like, this is pretty middle of the road for me. You know, it wasn't the worst two hours I spent, but it wasn't the best. Three is my kind of middle point. Okay. And I, I think we've talked about this in the past and feel free to pull up the receipts being like, actually, Michael, you said two and a half is your base. I think three is my base. Um, and then it either goes up or below. Now, I gave this a two and a half on Letterboxd.
1: And that's why I asked, because my knee-jerk reaction was a three and a half.
0: And is that and your kind of feel, middle of well,
1: the... I feel like I'm a harsher critic than you are, so I was a little surprised that I rated this higher than you, which is why that I is wanted surprising. to ask. Um, yeah. And no, my, my middle is like staunchly 2.5. Like, okay. it, if it is... Average, nothing that was really bad, nothing really good. Like it is a 2.5, and anything that fell above or below is going to go in that direction. Yeah. But I really was surprised to see you rate this 2.5 because I went back and looked and I was just like, oh, when I rated this originally, I gave it a three and a half, and I wonder what the difference is.
0: Yeah. Maybe when I talk about what Maybe irked me about this movie. It, I don't know if it'll become clear, but um, yeah. do you want to just do a little plot synopsis?
1: Yeah, I or, I feel like this one is much more straightforward than some of the ones we've done. But
0: yes, for sure, um, that is true. Yeah, I think it's pretty much. There's not a there's not a world to explain. There's not. No. A, yeah.
1: Okay, so let me give this a shot. Basically, do you wanna do 60 seconds. Oh, Lord, that time limit. Sure, yeah, challenge me. And go. Okay, so basically, if you've seen any iteration of A Star is Born, you've already seen this movie. Well played. So Michelle Pfeiffer is um, Sally Atwater, who really wants to be in the news and randomly gets the stage name Tally. So she is now Tally Atwater. Meets uh, Robert Redford, whose character name is Warren Justice. Do with that what you fucking will. And basically... He kind of guides her into being Weather Girl, then puts her in like a spotlight segment and basically makes her the new newscast anchor to be. So then she obviously gets promoted to a bigger market in Philadelphia where Stalker Channing gets to be a raging bitch to her for 10 minutes and it's wonderful. And then suddenly she can't do her job properly, meaning Robert Redford has to come, you know, be her lover and inspiration and make her better at her job, question mark. And then eventually, he, she gets locked in a prison during a riot, and he is outside of the newsman. I'm news so band. sorry,
0: it's your time is oh, up. Oh,
1: balls. I have like two major plot points left. Do you mind if That's I go through them?
0: <laughs> sure. I, and I will say, those are two very important They are points.
1: very important. <laughs> so, prison riot, he talks her through it. It goes viral, or what was viral in 1996, Um, and then he basically says, like, we still love each other, but I need to go do my own thing because nobody's hiring him anymore. So he goes to cover this civil unrest in Panama only for him to get killed on assignment. And then it ends with, um, Tally Michelle, uh, getting this big award and basically dedicating it to him. Uh, finish
0: yeah Blackout.
1: but Pretty yeah much, very I covered
0: most of that movie
1: <laughs> it is yeah, very star is born yes trajectory very much so
0: yeah which i didn't even catch until i think i was reading other people's letterbox reviews and i was like oh yeah this is basically a star is born but in the news it's a little pygmalion Pit- yes. esque of him kind of forming and shaping her to be you know, a a model newswoman. I would say it leans more towards Stars Born than Pygmalion, but there is a little bit of...
1: Well, um, it depends on which third of the movie you're watching, because the three acts of this movie are very different tonally. Mm -hmm. Because the first one you're watching sort of a workplace comedy where their relationship feels very platonic. Mm -hmm. And then out of nowhere they're on vacation with a Celine ballad blasting Mm -hmm. and it's suddenly sort of like a romantic drama. Like the comedy is sapped at that point, aside from, again, our beloved Stalker Channing. And then you just end on this downer that is is not for me fully integrated into the movie.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it just sort of comes out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
0: Would you say we get, with the three acts in the movie, we almost get three different versions of Tally Atwater? You know, we get, you know, at the beginning we get Sally <laughs> that is then changed to Tally where she's kind of the... the, the the dopey weather person, you know, she's still learning. Um,
1: she plays her very young. Yes. Like, I can't remember if she explicitly states what her true age is in that moment, but you can but I'd tell- say
0: she's like 20s. Early she's 20s, like
1: absolutely. 20s.
0: And then once she falls in love with Robert Redford and then takes the opportunity in Philadelphia, and you know, she gets, she changes her hair, she changes her whole- Persona to fit into what she thinks a Philadelphia newswoman should be. That feels like its own switch and a new tally. And then once we get to the prison riots, she's Diane Sawyer, honey. Like she is. She is Katie Couric. She is yes of a new woman. So, yeah. I think the film is intentional in giving those three different versions of this character. But I don't think there's really any proper through line to give us any like right I don't think it's, they're connected very well.
1: Right. And I understand I completely understand where you're coming from and I and I agree with you in terms of it being like the three acts of her career, but the the cohesiveness is missing. Yeah. It, it's a very it's a very choppy through line, particularly mm-hmm. when it comes to her romantic relationship with mm-hmm. Redford. The work relationship is is solid from the beginning. That's my favorite part is their workplace mm-hmm. banter back and forth. It's it's delightful. Yes. Um, yes, the, the yeah, the romantic side of it is is sort of the the shoehorned end portion for mm-hmm. me personally.
0: Yeah. I mean I think the beginning portion when she's learning on her feet and gets the the weather girl position and she has her little Rain slicker and her big glasses <laughs> and her umbrella. It's really very fun, and I think when he keeps on telling her not to look up into the, into the uh the, the the what is that room up above the station? I guess the, the booth. I guess for like a better word, he so he's telling her to not look look at the camera, don't look at me, and it's uh it's very funny. Um, but like everything, once you flip to Celine Dion, we're in a whole different movie, honey.
1: Very. Especially because, like, th- that is the midway point of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's not like we saved That's, it, it to come mark, soaring. Though. Yeah, it's not like we saved it to come soaring in, you know, as we go to black. It is just like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, this this is what we're watching now. Okay, <laughs> cool.
0: And what we're watching is a very different movie than what was initially planned. Um, This was was written by Joan Didion and her husband, John Dunn, and they wanted this to be a film about this kind of controversial reporter, Jessica Savage. I didn't really know that much about her, but um, this was supposed to be a film based on her life and her career as a journalist. And, you know, apparently, um, this is according to Wikipedia, so sorry, I'm not doing my proper, proper fact-checking, but uh, she had a very controversial life. Apparently she um, had a lot of drug abuse issues and notoriously she may have been stoned on camera at one point. And I think they really wanted to just chronicle this woman's life. And I guess it was just, nipped and tucked and butchered by hollywood and the probably the executives
1: well and that that's apparently what most people say is that because disney was the studio that picked it up
0: ah uh, yes uh-huh.
1: suddenly what was going to, what was supposed to be a movie based on this very edgy dark gritty story of of this newscaster who died very young had notable drug problems mm-hmm. was apparently in a very abusive relationship with her superior, which is the original basis for the Redford character, which is not at all what that huh. part turned into. Yeah. Um, suddenly they were, and they were just like, so maybe there's, maybe there's no death. Like maybe she doesn't die. And suddenly it was a very Different projects yes. than what they had thought yeah. they were adapting,
0: and so when you look at it like that, it's like, oh my god, that's a travesty. <laughs> this is what we, this is what came out of the rubble of that whole negotiation. But just as a standalone film, without you know the history of what came before with the adaptation process, I don't think it's bad. I wouldn't say it's bad.
1: No, um, it's, not, it's not a bad movie. And it is certainly a, a step, several steps, let me be clear, higher than Two Jillian was. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, for sure. But there's, I, I don't think there's anything in the movie that you could call gritty or edgy. It's a yeah. very, by the book, romantic drama. Yes.
0: Basically. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so ironic that I, in my notes, I wrote that the movie's focus, especially towards the end, when, you know, Redford's trying to find a project to do, you know, Michelle um, comes upon the, um, I guess the prison, I, I forget what kind of, what initially stokes her interest about what's going on in the prison she visits. I'm not sure if it's a reform bill that was she, Not went past. To,
1: she went to visit that prisoner she had interviewed earlier in yes. the film.
0: It was kind of trying to do A Day in the Life, right? Yes. Um, it's so funny that that's the news that these characters want to make. And it's funny that this movie in reality was also supposed to be that too. Right. <laughs> and it ended up being the complete opposite. It's like...
1: And I, I do think that's the, that's the one thing they do attempt to do is sort of an indictment of the news cycle at that mm. point mm-hmm. but they do it in a very roundabout way because essentially we're supposed to believe that Robert Redford is the only person in this business that wants to do quote unquote real news yeah. um, do do the prison riots do the 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 drug dealings do all the big dirty stuff instead of segments about dogs and cats Yes. sort of thing which is what everyone would rather him be doing mm-hmm. um, but yeah it, it just doesn't make a good case for it because the character they really want to position that around is Redford who is not the, the main character of this movie it's, it's Tally and it's watching her learn that from him but eventually she finds her own balance in the new cycle rather than sort of being, they treat Redford very much like a Michael Dorsey and Tootsie sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. you're so abrasive. No one wants to work with you. Like be a better person, blah, blah, right. blah. And it's just like, he's not a, but he's not a bad, <laughs>
0: bad yeah. person. and for all I can sense, He's not a bad reporter. He was not a bad news person. I think he just, you know, just got involved with his female colleagues too often, which, okay. Um, I don't know if that's really, it's not maybe the best quality, but I think it's a little bit better than Michael Dorsey. Yes. I'm just very curious about how this stuff works because she keeps on sending, once she's kind of hired more as, you know, a story reporter, he, she keeps on bringing in stories and Redford kind of shoots them down saying like, where's the story here? You know, what's your angle here, sweetheart? That's my Redford voice, if you don't. um
1: there is, Girl and, Friday. <laughs>
0: thank you. And um, I was like, is this what news news people have to do? They have to go find the stories and bring them to their producers and be like, can I do this? Do they not just go on do the big ones gets set on assignment and the people is that what happens in the news? Do you know?
1: I believe so. I think the big stories that are there are covered but I I think most reporters are always looking for a a scoop and something they want to research and cover and report on.
0: Yeah, I just was thinking that man that must be tough to keep on pounding the pavement trying to find a story and that it may be getting shot down by your producer you have to go out and find another one i would just maybe my lazy self just be like just give me a story and i'll <laughs> well
1: i think the flip side of that is at the point where Tally is in the movie she's still very much just trying to get on screen yeah and so i think that's what keeps her nose to the grindstone as far as that's concerned is if she brings him the right one maybe she can finally get on camera which mm-hmm. which is the primary goal when she gets there. Yeah.
0: Oh, I can't imagine, you know, just how to go up the ladder, to even get your foot in the door, to get your face on screen, if that's what you want. But to me, it almost sounds like being an actor, just the constant quote-unquote auditioning, trying to...
1: And that's absolutely what they show, because the, the movie basically opens with her demo reel, Mm -hmm. Uh, if you will, that she sends out that eventually she's just like, none of that was real. I made all of that up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's very much what they frame it as is that to be in the news, the news game at that time, it was very much like acting, sending out your demo reel, sending out the stuff you've, you've covered and do you have the personality and Mm -hmm. all that stuff.
0: There's the impossible dream.
1: Michelle Pfeiffer scrawling the impossible dream is maybe my top moment of this of this movie. It it may be it's certainly in my top three, but it may be my my favorite part of this movie.
0: It's you know you would I read your letterbox review before I watched the movie, so <laughs> I knew that that was going to happen. You know, my mind I was like, okay, that's I'll have to keep my out for that, and then when it happened, you're not prepared for it. Much no. like Freddie Prince Jr.'s hair, and to Jillian, you're not prepared for Michelle to get out of that baseball field and sing "The Impossible Dream." And I'm not sure what key that was in.
1: Neither, neither does she. That's she also true. does not know what key that was in.
0: And I'm not sure why. You know, this was the same year as the Avita movie, so. It's not as if Angela Weber could have seen that this film and been like, "That's my Ava Perone." But I think that's a much better audition tape in my eyes. She's showing that she has the range.
1: Well, because you you really expect her to crack at some point because she starts that song off high.
0: Yeah, it's not as if she starts, you know, to dream the impossible. No, it's it it I'm is, up. It's, it's, she is it's up there.
1: But like um, the reason you're not prepared for it is because she's just like, yeah, I was a beauty queen, and he and all he really is like, well, what was your talent? And she's like, I'll show you,
0: <laughs> and, and it just then, cut immediately.
1: Then, then she's just standing there, sprawling out the impossible dream, and it's 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 wonderful. It's so pure watching her do that. I love it's,
0: it. It's such a wonderful moment. Um,
1: let's see. Can we talk about, like, my my character actresses in this movie? Kate Nelligan, who I mm-hmm. love with my heart and soul reuniting with Michelle after Frankie and Johnny.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't understand why she's there. <laughs> that role is so unnecessary to, she, to the proceedings.
0: She, she plays... Um...
1: She's Redford's ex-wife, who is, yes. who is also a top journalist um, but she's basically just there to kind of be a shit stirrer in in a few scenes yeah. but really and and doing wonderfully because Kate Nelligan is great she's mm-hmm. not doing a bad performance in the movie it's just a very odd character because it lends nothing to the overall proceedings yeah. she does maybe like one favor for Tally at some point in the movie, and that's-
0: And she's that's... maybe a sounding board for Tally, but I'd say Stalker Channing is more of a help in that department than- Agreed.
1: Another another one who really is there for just 10 minutes and is third build, <laughs> if, if we didn't say that up front. Stalker right. Channing is third build in this movie for 10 minutes of work.
0: We should all be so lucky. I'm I'm thrilled for her that she got top billing. I mean,
1: I feel like Stalker Channing must just talk to directors here. They're doing a movie, and is like, I will be in your movie for a maximum of ten minutes, and you're going to be lucky for that. Because I'm just thinking back to her, you know, jackknifing in First Wives Club there mm-hmm. for all of all of two seconds to this. Even, you know, Tu Wong Fu, she certainly has a larger role in that, but that movie is all about the drag queens.
0: Again, that feels like she just saddled up next to Patrick Swayze at a bar and was like, I hear you're doing a movie
1: (laughs) about drag
0: queens. (laughs) No, that sounds like a heck of a lot of fun. Patty, I'm sure she called him Patty. I don't know if that's, that sounds like a heck of a lot of fun, Patty. Why don't you call me? Send me the script. I'd love to see if there's a part for me in it. And I'm sure she did the same to, um, you know, to one of the people in this movie. She said, you don't want to film about the news? Oh, I, I, I love the news. I always thought I could be a good newswoman."
1: And she is. Yeah. She, yeah, she's, she's great in that role. It's the wonderful own, 10 minutes having her there.
0: That was my um, series. You know, Stalker Channing decides she shall be in a movie. Did we enjoy that? Listeners, did you enjoy that, Jerry?
1: The impressions coming out of your mouth this episode, I don't think we've ever been the beneficiary of them yet.
0: We have to give this movie something because as straightforward as there is, it's not as if we've got, you know, the whore next door to talk about in this one.
1: Yeah, the characters are very easy to relate to Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and understand as opposed to jillian where we liked none of them and had yes. many things to say about
0: them. i'm looking through my notes i'm like what does that even mean i like i said i want that big poster of michelle and her moist brown hair that gets put up over stockards i guess that's when michelle takes stockard's job yeah and she has that little
1: and it's the big billboard that they hang up and her hair little is, bob yes
0: I guess. What I wondered, they really, they really must have mod- modeled Tally after Katie Couric, because there is that shot of Katie Couric on the cover of People magazine. I'm. Sh- mm. I I guess this part, this time of you know the late '90s was the time when she came on the sc- came on the scene. It definitely seemed like you know they were they like poking at the Katie Couric camp, where it's like you know, model model Tally after this newswoman did it seem like that to you at all or not really because i assumed okay. i assumed that michelle's
1: role is the closest to the original as possible okay granted nothing nothing that we've read about savage really comes into play in the movie yeah but the fact that you know a newswoman was the the starting line of this movie I assumed that that character is what stayed somewhat constant or as Mm -hmm. close to constant as possible. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's like we were saying earlier, the Redford role morphed from an abuser into a mentor lover. Um, So that's a complete departure from what he was originally. Who knows, who knows what they serve the characters they were originally surrounded with were like and, you know, Mm -hmm. talking about Nelligan and Channing and and that. But yeah, I don't know if I ever watching it thought, oh you know, she's the Barbara Walters or or, Mm -hmm. you know, that. It was just oh, okay. She's Mm -hmm. Tally Atwater. Which kind of brings me this is this this episode is a meandering one. For us, Um, sort of back to where we started with my three and a half rating, is I think I rated it higher because of how much I like Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Flaws aside, I think she's great in this role. It feels like a very natural fit. For her, it, it's just something mm-hmm. she's able to do in her sleep because you know it, it has that, and that's not a negative thing, by the way. It's just it's it it's so firmly in her wheelhouse that it's just a joy to watch her do. Because yeah. you sort of have the Selena Kyle dippiness at the beginning, and mm-hmm. then you yeah. move into just this very ass- assured. Confident, charming woman, and it just allows her to glow in in, in a way. It's it's just such a, a good fit for her, and so I think because I know mm-hmm. I rated this like as the credits were rolling, so it was a very knee jerk reaction, and I I think how much I enjoyed her specifically really, in this movie really pumps really really pumps yeah. that rating up. Yes,
0: I definitely think I rated it based on the overall experience of the film. And, um, but I, I cannot, I have to agree with you that it's a great role for Michelle and, and thinking of the ones we've talked about so far, it's the most, you know, effervescent. You know, like you said, she's, it's a glowing performance. It's so. Um,
1: it's also the first one we've covered that is real life for yeah. lack of a better word. Cause yeah. you know, she's not in Gotham. She's not in period France. She's not a ghost. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> she's-
0: She is a living, breathing person in the now.
1: Right, this is the yep. first character we've watched where I sort of feel like this is probably really close to how Michelle Pfeiffer is real life. Yeah. Like if she if she were like this character if we were hanging out at a bar it would not shock me at all. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I was thinking that too. I was like, this feels, yeah, this is like the first movie where she's not in France. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. Um. Yeah, I agree.
1: Um. Did you did you like Robert Redford in this movie?
0: Oh yes, we haven't even talked about him. I. I really like Robert Redford. Um, I had watched him recently in Indecent Proposal, ah, with, um, okay. which I think came out around the same time.
1: I believe so, yeah.
0: Um, funny enough, he, I have to commend him, he rode that sex symbol wave well into his 60s. Yes. And I think he deserved the mantle. You know, I've seen some, now, nowadays I'm not sure if there's really any men in their 60s Hollywood males that I would say that's a sex symbol right there, baby. But Redford at this moment in time still got it. How old
1: is Clooney? Just quick side note.
0: Hey Siri, <laughs> how old is George Clooney? George Clooney is 59 years old. 59?
1: 59. 59. So he's getting
0: up there. See, um, I
1: would I would I would but, give Clooney that mantle.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Um but I think he, what did I say about him? He is, I think I compared him a little bit to like a Tom Hanks, maybe because it's kind of a similar role to the post, maybe that's what I was thinking. Um, I can he's- I see that. I he's feel like- devoted to his job. He's a slave to the truth. If he falls in love, well, by golly, he let that armor down for someone special, <laughs> you know, falling in love is a point of pride. You know, he doesn't do it just for any old gal.
1: That makes sense. I feel like Tom Hanks is is so everyman in in Mm -hmm. all of his roles. And there's something about Robert Redford that, you know, even in... Did you see The Old Man and the Gun back in 2018? I did not. I mean, he's... He's got to be in his 80s in that movie. But it's him playing this charming... Bank robber, (laughs) and being in the in this sweet relationship with Sissy Spacek, and it's just like, yeah, you're you're still real sexy. (laughs) Like I get why Sissy Spacek is into you, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I feel like much like
0: is into this movie.
1: Yeah. Like I like I said I. I know that there's no movie and there's no Celine ballad without them being in a relationship, but I remember on first watch it ending and me saying, I kind of wish it had stayed platonic. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And like, I like I said, that cuts out an entire chunk of the movie and there's no way that, Disney the would have produced been, yeah. this movie with, without yeah. them being romantic partners. Yeah, But there's just something about the, I prefer the banter and sort of the professional respect that they bring to those early scenes. And even like the scene after the prison riot where they're sort of talking about where his career is going to go
0: mm-hmm.
1: from there. I just sort of enjoy their more platonic moments in this mm-hmm. movie because they feel there's such a a natural chemistry between them and those that just doesn't come as alive on on like that vacation scene.
0: Yeah. I almost wonder if, it's almost like Pfeiffer and Redford kind of knew that, you you know, we can't do this movie without us getting, without our characters getting linked up. It's almost behind their eyes, they realize, you know, Maybe they're on to the same thing. You are like, we should just stay, you know, coworkers. This romance is ridiculous. I even felt like in the first few, you know, come on scenes where they're kind of flirting with each other and you know, maybe on the edge of kissing. You know, they're they're so close to you know getting to that point. And it almost feels like they're almost joking with the audience or joking with the studio. Like you know, <laughs> you want us to you want us to do this. <laughs>
1: And I, like, I am not at all opposed to a will-they-won't-they situation. Those are always, always fun and sort Mm -hmm. of lend themselves to that relationship. Mm -hmm. But I I kind of, I I wish that that had been the whole movie. I think, I actually think his death is sadder without them having been romantic partners. If they had just been close friends, like, the will, they won't, they, and then with nothing being consummated or anything, he goes off and, and dies. I think that punches harder than it does in the current iteration.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's what makes, you know, <laughs> it's what makes the ending of The King and I work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean that that musical's relationship is, you know, a will they, won't they. Um, kind of thing. And so when the king dies at the end, you do feel that they finally, the hard punch that she finally earned his respect in the end. And I mean, that, all, that,
1: that all comes because the whole show, again, is is their workplace
0: mm-hmm.
1: relationship. And then you get to Shall We Dance, which is hot. Sorry. Yeah. Shall We Dance is a hot scene.
0: Which is the Because You love Me of... Of the canine. Yes,
1: although not at the halfway point. <laughs> but and and then he he dies, but it's you still people do not have to have sex to care about each other, to have deep love for each other. And I think you see that they care for each other and have the same goals in mind long before these romantic entanglements start getting thrown into the screenplay. And so I I think, yeah, I I stand by my guns on that.
0: Yeah. You said something real profound. You said you don't have to have sex with somebody to care about them (laughs) and feel love for them. I think that's important. Who says we're not saving lives here on this podcast? (laughs) So because you loved me. Yes. I'm, I have history with this song. So I, oh. when I got my car, I learned to drive really later on. I learned to drive when I was 18. And I got my mom's old red Volvo to, um, that was going to be my car. And in her glove compartment, she had a Celine Dion Greatest Hits album. Beautiful. And I believe it was maybe track number three or four right after Beauty and the Beast. It was because you loved me. <laughs> And so I didn't know that it was from up close and personal, but this song has been with me for a long time. And um, to see that it didn't win the Oscar this year.
1: It didn't. The only thing it, the only big, big one it won was a uh, Grammy. Won a oh, Grammy was only nominated for Oscar and Golden Globe. But honestly, Diane Warren has an amazing career and the songs she has written are, the the number of ones that are just solid hits and bangers are, are ridiculous. Yes. But I honestly think like looking at the ones that she has been nominated for, I think this is the one that I wish she would have won.
0: Yeah.
1: Like this, it's very much between this And I don't want to miss a thing from Armageddon that I'm like. And I
0: don't want to miss it.
1: (laughs) Like those, those two, I'm like, I, yeah, I I wish that you had won your Oscar for one of those or both of those. I would be a-okay with that.
0: Let me see. Is, um, how do I live from Con Air? Is that how do I, or is that how do I? Yeah. How do I Oh, how do I, oh, how do I live? Is that it? Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. The, yeah, because you loved me or I don't want to miss a thing. That's what I would give her for.
1: Even nothing's going to stop us now from mannequin. I, I would, I would put that up there too.
0: Oh gosh. Um, With that year. It's funny that Michelle was in two films that got original song nominations. I
1: know. She's one helping. Fine day. Helping the music.
0: Yeah, I have to do a shout out to the title song from "That Thing You Do," written by unfortunately the late Adam Schlesinger. Um, I watched that thing you do, do that, that thing you do, that thing you do during quarantine, and if that's not a bop. Since it is a that is not, I listened to that this morning. I got off the train this morning to work, and I put on that thing you do. I had a peppermint stick.
1: Yes, it will get you through the day.
0: See, so I would even maybe that's like my number two after.
1: But none of these won. What did win, Michael?
0: You must love. Me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I uh, it's <laughs> this this is this is very close to becoming an episode about Vita. <laughs> and it will not be a fun episode about Vita. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm probably not doing not being any better because I'm thinking like about the if Michelle were to be nominated for this movie. What, would we have put her in drama for this? Would this have been? I feel like because of how sad that ending gets,
1: I think it, I, I really do think it lands in drama. I wish that there were a way to content her in comedy because I, although that field is also stacked, this year, I feel like it would be easier to maybe get her in the comedy field instead of drama, but I don't think there's any way to campaign this movie as mm. as a comedy. A comedy, yeah.
0: Do you have those Golden Globe, Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy? A musical yes, that, I so
1: Comedy Year, uh, Madonna won for a Vita. Um, so I was afraid to the bring other... it up
0: because I was like, I'm going to get in this territory <laughs> Well, and the thing is, she
1: she beat uh, Francis for Fargo, which enrages me. <laughs> like, in my soul, enrages me. Uh, but then you've also got Streisand for Mirror House Faces, mm-hmm. Debbie Reynolds for Mother, and... Um, I think this would be mean to make you guess it, but I really want to make you guess it. But the fifth one is definitely Glenn Close from 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> and that nomination...
0: That's earned. Yes, that
1: that actually may make up for Madonna winning that category is the yep. fact that Glenn's Cruella Deville got nominated for a Golden Globe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess there really is no way to fit her in, but...
1: There really isn't. Like, I feel like that... Quintet of ladies is because honestly, the weakest performance for me is Madonna in Evita, but she's in the lone musical, which we know Golden Globe, if there is a musical and they can nominate someone from the musical, they're going to in that category, mm-hmm. so she wasn't going anywhere. And then you've got Glenn Close, Frances McDormand, Debbie Reynolds, and Barbara Streisand. I
0: and I, you know debbie and barbara ain't letting go of those spots right <laughs> francis you know no there's no way and then Not for
1: Margo. no you know, she's she's um, there
0: yeah and even and even with glenn yeah, it's i would <laughs> yeah i wouldn't <laughs> i'm just thinking of glenn close on instagram this week i don't know if you saw that this is be a totally that Halloween like,
1: party drag she was in. With her, little,
0: <laughs> with her yeah. little, with her little, that little, thing she was doing. <laughs> I, I couldn't see any video from that. It was all photos as far as I saw. Yes. There was any, any videos to back that up? Correct. You know there is because that looks like, you know, an action shot if I ever saw one. It yes. sounds like she's in the middle of Anita, darling. Like it just, <laughs> um.
1: Of talent, darling, don't squander it.
0: Um, this is really the, the episode of, you know, Michael sings and does impressions. <laughs> up close and personal with that's, me, more like that's,
1: it. <laughs> that's what we're going to title it. Um, we're not going to let them know the, mo- the movie name. It's just going to be Michael does impressions.
0: Um, I really have two more points that I want to bring up about this movie. Yes, please. There's number one. Her wig towards the end of this movie is very reminiscent of Nicole Kidman in The Stepford Wives. Do you remember that little bob that she had? Yes.
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. And of right. course,
0: when she's like, you know, a big TV person, I'm like, well, Tally Outwater walked so Joanna Eberhardt could run, you know? <laughs> um, and then my last thing, I'm sure you caught the network that she aspires to work on and the name of that network. I-B-S.
1: Yes. Do, do nobody, you have anything further to nobody say? Nobody
0: sat, nobody, much like with Tajillion, nobody sat down and said, you know, might want to rethink it. Nobody said anything. No. I-B-S. Big letters. Nothing. That's all. That, that's sorry, it. That's all I have to say.
1: Um so we do have we do have one performer from this movie who actually won an award for their performance. I would guess. you like mm-hmm. would you like to guess who it is?
0: Well, I, I know who it is, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, I'm gonna act like I'm guessing. Hmm. <laughs> Ooh. Not Kate Nelligan. Um Oh, Jerry, I bet it's Stalker Channing.
1: Michael, it is Stalker Channing. Oh, got it. Yes! She won a Blockbuster Entertainment Award for Favorite Supporting Actress in a Romance. Oh. Do they have the other nominees she was up against listed? They do not, but I want to track down that list.
0: I'd like to think it was a Race of One. Just her.
1: We... Don't do nominees, we just award people. This (laughs) is Stalker Channing's award.
0: Well, favorite supporting actress in a romance. I can think of a lot of actors, I can think of a lot of actresses who would fit that award very nicely.
1: I was about to say, I feel like for '96, it must have been a stacked category
0: for her to win, for her 10 minutes? I
1: mean, 1996 was all about the romance. Yeah. All about it. But soccer oh. Channing was just like, nope. <laughs> that's, this is this Supporting <laughs> actress Award is
0: mine. This is my award, baby. Um, uh, I think that's it I've got for up close and personal. Do you have anything last, else?
1: I do, I have one last you question. You do, okay, you. go ahead do you think in your ideal world, would you, would you nominate Michelle Pfeiffer for an Oscar for this performance?
0: No, I wouldn't have, even though I so enjoyed it, it's not one that I would, you know, toss an award at. Yeah. I think if it was a weaker year for, and we could maybe fit her into the musical or comedy Golden Globes, I could be persuaded. But yeah, with that stacked year, you know. Not out of Debbie Reynolds' cold, dead hands. So sorry.
1: Oh, Debbie Reynolds and Mother. She deserved that nomination. She deserved that win over Madonna.
0: Well, I guess. And hey, is this the moment to bring up, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's audition tape for Evita? Is this the moment?
1: Are you trying to make me angry? Like, is this Michael does impressions and makes his co-host angry?
0: I just think since we're on the topic, we can mention it, you know, if you want to go on YouTube, you can look up Michelle Pfeiffer's Audition for Evita, and she sings along to a karaoke track of I'd Be Surprisingly Good for You, complete with pauses where Juan Peron's lines come in.
1: If you watch Grease 2... And don't immediately want to cast Michelle Pfeiffer as Ava Perone. I feel badly for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's that's what I have to say about that.
0: All right, we'll step around this. This this minefield, field. this minefield that we have. that is the Avita movie. Now you have a game for me. Is that what I, is that right?
1: I do. Okay. Because we talked long and hard about Golden Globes and their placement and such for this episode. And I wondered if you could guess the performances that Michelle Pfeiffer has actually been nominated for a Golden Globe for.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: And I will tell you... to There are seven performances, one of which is for TV, if that helps.
0: Is the TV one for The Wizard of Lies? Sure is. Okay. So then, Love Field? Yes. Is that one for her? Um, The Fabulous Baker Boys? Yes. Frankie and Johnny. Very good. So that's four.
1: Yes, three more. Two
0: more. Oh God, seven, that's right. Um, she wasn't for Dangerous Liaisons, was she? Because that didn't Um She was not. Ma- um, married to the Mob though. Very good. I remember. Yes. Our conversations, two more.
1: So the two you're missing are both for drama. Okay. One is 91, and the other is 94. 91?
0: 91. Um.
1: 91 is the one that I don't think even I would have guessed, so...
0: That's not what I'm... I Focus really on 94. 94. Oh my gosh. Because then... Even that one for me, I'm, not, I'm having trouble.
1: 94 is a big period movie.
0: Oh, The Age of Innocence. There we go. Man. can't believe I almost couldn't think of that one.
1: And 91 is The Russia House.
0: Oh, was that her first ever Golden Globe nomination? That was her third.
1: Okay. She had Married to the Mob in 88. Oh, yes, that's right. And uh, Fabulous Baker Boys in 89. Okay. Wow. Yeah. The Russia House is the... Yeah, Russia House is the... Oh, and left field are the two performances of those that I'm, I'm still currently missing. Okay.
0: They've been good to her. They really have definitely
1: They have. And like I feel like considering three of those are musical comedy, a lot of her movies have certainly lent themselves more to the split. Mm-hmm. For some reason it feels like when she started getting awards attention is when the Oscars really started shifting to hardcore drama.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um but I mean, at least one of those, like Baker Boys, was nominated musical comedy, and that was her second mm-hmm. Oscar nomination. But it just feels like the Golden Globes have done better by her than the Oscars have.
0: Yeah, at least one award's body has. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I would recommend this movie. Would you recommend this movie?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. There is. There is nothing. Wrong, with this movie.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, it is a feel-good romantic drama with two very charismatic leads. Yeah, like it's it's. I don't think it's going to be your favorite movie you've ever seen, but I I absolutely would say it's worth putting on.
0: Yeah, do you still want to do Six Degrees?
1: Yes, because you said you had a good one for me.
0: Well, good in the fact that I thought of it, you know, well before we started, you know, (laughs) airing today and it wasn't something I was like, oh, crap, I gotta do that. Um, Would you like to give... You can go
1: first. You can go first this time.
0: Okay. I was thinking about, you know, your Supporting Actress Week that you've had with your your watches. Yes. And so I guess by way of that, mine for you is Will B. Goldberg. Oh,
1: whoopster. Okay. Okay. If, if this is going to qualify as somewhat cheating, you can call me out. Because even though they were both in this movie, they were never on screen together. Okay. Uh, Pfeiffer and Robert Downey Jr. were in Endgame together. And okay. Robert Downey Jr. was in Soap Dish with Whoopi. Okay. If you would rather me <laughs> go go deeper for this one, I will allow it. But that's maybe. the first thing that popped in my head, because I was can like, "Soapdish has everyone.
0: Can you go a little bit further and see, if maybe?
1: Yes. Let me... Um... Okay. We're still going to go the soap dish route. But...
0: Um... All roads seem to lead to it and from it.
1: <laughs> Michelle... Was in Witches of Eastwick with Cher.
0: hmm
1: Who was in Silkwood with Meryl. hmm Who was in Ricky and the Flash with Kevin Klein. Who was in Soap Dish with Whoopi Goldberg. Great.
0: There we go. We can... there.
1: There's our long path.
0: There we go. Good, good, good.
1: Oh, that was good. That was fun.
0: Yeah. I was thinking more. I was leaning more into the Winona Ryder route, just because she Whoopi was in *Girl Interrupted* with Winona Ryder. Sure. Um, oh, that makes sense. So,
1: I'm I'm throwing back to old school. All right. Uh, a bit. All right. Um, and I'm gonna give you Catherine Hepburn.
0: Ooh. Okay. Okay, Catherine Hepburn. So let's see. She was in. I'm trying to think of like on an, an Golden Pond because I think that can lead me somewhere. So she was in on Golden Pond with Jane Fonda, yes. Who was in quite a few movies that we know and love.
1: Would you like to name one of them?
0: I can <laughs> name several. I'm trying to think of one that can lead me. To Michelle, um, who? Okay, think of Jane Bonda. Okay, um, I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think. I'm, th- I'm thinking of Clute, because she was in with Donald Sutherland. Oh, okay. We're gonna start. We're gonna start from the tippity top. Got okay, it. here we go. So, Catherine Hepburn. Yes. She was in On Golden Pond with Jane Fonda, mm-hmm. who was in Clute with Donald Sutherland, who was in The Hunger Games with Jennifer Lawrence, who was in Mother with Michelle Pfeiffer. Boom! Well thank done! Thank you so much, thank you so much. I knew that if I just stuck with Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland, they would lead me home. And they did.
1: You did, you started, you started with the, the actor given which is new for you. Usually you start with the Nadell movie.
0: I did. Like, like a lot of this episode, I've been playing by my own rules here tonight. It worked. <laughs> it, you did good. Thank you. Oh my, well, Pfeiffer fans, <laughs> this has been another episode of Pfeiffer Fridays. I am Michael McLean, and you can follow me at Michael D. McLean on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd.
1: And I'm Jerry Downey, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jerry downey 913 or on Letterboxd at the same name.
0: You can also find Five for Fridays in general on Twitter at Five for Fridays. Uh, please remember to rate and review us. It makes us easier to find so we can continue to spread the Michelle gospel. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you again next week for Five for Fridays, where we will be concluding our 1996 miniseries with One Fine Day. And won't it be a fine day when we can wrap up 1996? Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. You were my strength when I was weak. You were my voice when I couldn't speak. You were my eyes when I couldn't see. You saw. So- Oh, wait, Stay. what was the thing he said? Um, that, you remember that phrase that the newscaster said? You know, glad tidings, be of good cheer. Is that what he said? In Miami, he said, be of good cheer.
1: I, I don't remember, Michael. You just put me on the spot.
0: I think he said, be of good cheers. That's what I tell this. Be of good cheer.
1: Oh, my God. Is, is that it? We ended with be of good cheer?
0: That's it. Okay.